Good morning. This is Faith Radio, 7 past the hour. Where does the U.S. economy go from here? Joining us to provide some expert analysis is our business consultant, Bill English of BibleandBusiness.com. Good morning, Bill. Well, good morning. How are you today? Good. So the wise business guru that you are, what is your... Okay, please. What, what is your take on the, the latest numbers out on our GDP, the gross national product? Well, the GDP is not good, The but that doesn't mean that the whole economy is bad. It just means that the economy is basically stalled. Uh, I think the last numbers for the second quarter were 1.1%. They were revised down uh, from 1.2%. And uh, the the quarter before that was at 0.08%. Got to be around 2% to even match uh, population, population growth. growth. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so we, are con- we are not growing as fast as what we should be to keep up with population growth. But at the same time, we are technically, we're not contracting. Uh, that's why I put us kind of in the stalled category. The, the economy isn't contracting, but it's really it's really not growing very well either. So parse the numbers out for us. What parts of the U.S. economy are growing right now, and which ones are are contracting or stalled out? Well, I, it, just to uh, just to divide this into two big buckets, I'll divide it into the business bucket and the consumer bucket. The uh, consumer bucket is doing pretty well, or at least better than than the business bucket. We're seeing consumers spend uh, a lot. The spending was pretty robust. And in fact, of that 1.1% growth that we've had, the consumer spending accounted for a great deal of it. And so uh, uh, what you're seeing is that uh, Americans are opening their wallets and they're spending money. Now, whether it's money on credit or money that they have in the bank, if it's a typical American, it's probably on credit. And that's going to come back to, uh, you know, to roost at some point. Uh, but they're doing okay. Businesses, on the other hand, still have a lot of cash on their balance sheets, but they're not spending it. Uh, although in one area, the, again, this is a mixed bag. In one area, the uh, pre-orders for durable goods uh, was up, uh, I think, 4.4% in the last quarter. Why don't you explain what durable goods are well, for our dur- listeners yeah, that don't know? Yeah, that. Well, in, uh, dur- durable goods are um, uh, goods that businesses will buy that will last more than three years. So, you you know, you can think of long-term assets that instead of them expensing the asset, they're going to have to depreciate it over time uh, based on whatever schedules they have. So... Um, that that part was up, so that was a good sign. And yet, you see uh, businesses overall just not investing in plant and equipment. They're not investing necessarily in new product lines unless it's a pretty sure thing that they're going to make some money on it. And they're holding on to their cash right now. And uh, the, the, to me, the reason that business holds on to cash is because uh, for for the simple fact that of the uncertainty of the economy, the uncertainty of the elections, the uncertainty of what might happen to Obamacare. I mean, the news on Obamacare is nothing but bad news right now. Uh, there is no one who's thinking that this is a huge success except people in the White House who are completely out of touch with the average American. And so uh, those things are all happening, and the only defense a business has is cash. That's the only defense they really have, and so they're they're hanging on to it. Isn't it uh, pretty common that during an election year, especially in the months right leading up to the election, that a lot of businesses and a lot of consumers – I mean, you said consumer spending is up – but a lot of people say, okay, before I buy that house, before I make that big investment – I'm going to kind of see how things play out. Well, they do. And and usually economies slow down about six months before a presidential election. That is true. 
Uh, and what they're what the businesses are always looking for is who gets elected and what rules are we going to have to play by. Sometimes I'm not sure that the businesses care as much about which rules they have to play by. Is that once the rules are set, let's not change them mm. because I got to make plans and I've got to uh, you know do a two or three year plan here and I need to know what the rules are so that I can plan accordingly. And so one of the things, one of the uncertainties has been all the regulations coming out of the Obama administration. And uh, and whether those uh, regulations are changing the landscape for certain businesses, would you'd have to dive into each vertical to find out. Uh, but the rules are changing, and that causes uncertainty. I think we could probably safely predict that if Hillary's elected, those regulations will stay in force, and perhaps more will be added. If Trump is elected, all bets are off. I mean, there are some things he said, I'm getting rid of this, I'm getting rid of that. Whether he follows through with that, we'll have to see. I think Trump is a loose cannon. And uh, he is he's a guy who has promised to make sure that businesses can't leave the United States. Now, think about that. Think about the totalitarian mindset it takes to say that a business cannot move out of the country. So uh, and he said that on more than one occasion. I think he's serious about it. Uh, So I think uh, Trump is a wild card. I think he's loose cannon. And uh, I don't know that he is going to be in terms of the regulation piece much better than Hillary Clinton, quite Mm. frankly. I doubt he would add a lot more regulations, though. I mean, some of the burdensome regulations we see now. Has he talked about uh, getting rid of Obamacare or has he even really addressed that? He has. He's talked about getting rid of Obamacare and replacing it with something else which um, only a yellow kangaroo would oppose, really. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you look at the insurance companies that are dropping out of the exchanges, the premiums going up 20 percent. I think a lot of Americans are really getting, getting bit by their health care premiums right now. Uh, it's it's only getting worse. One third of the exchanges now only have one provider in them. Mm. When you, you know, I was watching uh, the news, I won't say which channel, but I was watching the news recently, and I think it was United Healthcare here in, headquartered here in Minneapolis, lost over a billion dollars through Obamacare over the last two years. You can't do that. You 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 just simply can't do that. And I what I think they're really driving at, quite frankly, is to put a number of these big insurance companies in a position where everyone will assent to a single payer system. Mm. You know, this is what government does. Government comes in, they distort markets, they create problems, and then they use more government to solve the problems that they've just created. And eventually the government becomes the the, core the savior of the come in, yeah. Well, and you think about it, that's what Hillary really wanted uh, several years ago when Bill Clinton was oh, in office yeah. was a single payer yeah. system. So, um, yeah, the liberal part of our um, of our culture has wanted uh, single payer for decades. Mm. And and you know what? If you want single payer, just look at the Veterans Administration, and that's what you're going to get. And if you think the Veterans Administration is great health care and health insurance, then by all means, vote for single payer <laughs> systems. That's a, a sad commentary, given the number of veterans that have struggled under that uh, that system. Our guest, Bill English, from BibleandBusiness.com. We'll take a quick break. Be right back here on Faith Radio. Good morning. 17 past the hour at Faith Radio. Bill Meyer with business dude, Bill English. <laughs> uh, not an aging hippie, by the way. I should point that out. The, you know, uh, I, when you were doing that story, I was yeah. thinking, isn't there an aging hippie on the air here? Uh, it's not me, brother. Not it's, that there's uh, anything wrong with that. No. I'm just going to say. Oh, we doing you got to be mellow about that. <laughs> yeah. we were. Uh, if you didn't hear, we were, Spearfish, South Dakota has been named uh, the, one of the best hippie 
places, uh, and I guess in the state, and they have this list of each state's top hippie towns. So Spearfish got it. Uh, Bill, yeah, we 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 have a global economy, we uh, do. and a lot of the globe is struggling right now and, and slowing down. So, how much is that uh, moving forward going to impact our economy? It will increasingly impact our economy. So, as as Europe gets slower, as China uh, gets slower. Uh, you know, that that is going to impact our economy because of the interconnectedness on uh, at least two levels. One is people buying our goods and services. So as the dollar strengthens, they buy less of it because it costs them more. Uh, and yet when the dollar lowers, it hurts us. When the dollar uh, is devalued, that hurts us internally here in the United States. And uh, uh, the other one is... And it has completely slipped That's my right. mind. The, the other, well, one of the other issues we're dealing with is oil, the price of oil. And let me just ask you this, because I lived in Houston for several years. Right. That city's economy has been impacted significantly by the lower oil prices, because a large proportion of, of business and industry there is is tied to the oil industry in some way. Uh, explain how oil prices affect the overall economy? Well, oil oil is used in so many areas in production and manufacturing and as a raw good in producing a finished good. And so as the price of those things go up, there's a there's kind of a baked-in uh, increased cost to a lot of manufacturing and a lot of finished goods. And so uh, you can just, I, for example, I, I remember when I was in junior high. Now, we're going back to the Harding administration here, okay? <laughs> you and, are an uh, aging hippie. <laughs> I don't have the hair for it, though. My wife won't let me grow a ponytail. Uh, okay. I don't know why. Anyways, in the Harding administration, and I went to buy a 45 of, a, uh, I think it was a Paul McCartney 45 huh. that I wanted, right? And uh, they used to be 25 cents, and they were suddenly 35 cents. And I complained to the guy. I said, why? Ten cents higher. That's a lot more money. He goes, well, petroleum. Ah, it, was during, records, it was yeah. during the time when gas was going up. Uh-huh. And I thought, oh, I didn't realize. You know, Vinyl, kid, yeah. what do I know? Yeah. So, uh, so that taught me that raw, when raw material costs go up, that's going to get baked into a lot of processes and a lot of different products. Now, you are an advocate of opening up the Keystone Pipeline. This I is, uh, I know, been a big controversy uh, in the upper Midwest, our part of the country. Uh, I would travel through some of the states in the Faith Radio listening area. Uh, how do you believe that would boost economic growth here in the U.S.? It would boost economic growth by creating jobs. And I know that this is a cliche that, you, that we've heard from the right, but they're not wrong on this. Uh, uh, building the pipeline would create jobs. Maintaining the pipeline would create jobs. And it would also uh, lower um, – how do I say this? It would give our refineries more crude to refine, and that also is going to help create and maintain jobs. Got it. And, of course, so there are a lot of environmentalists that are trying to keep that from, from happening. You no, know, but the thing is, the oil's already traversing. It's already going from the northern part of the United States to the southern part of the United States. It's just that it's going on rail. Right. Yeah. Trains are pulling it in these big in lots of cars, right, instead of us pumping it underground. And I fail to see a substantive or qualitative difference between those two methods of transporting the oil from the north to the south. Now, the, uh, the other issue we're going to be dealing with in the weeks and months to come is the Fed and interest rates and 
uh, Janet Yellen signaled pretty clearly in, at their big meeting in Wyoming that uh, the, the interest rate is coming probably as early as, as September. Uh, how is that likely to affect both the stock market and the overall economy? Uh, the stock market uh, probably uh, is they're already probably starting to bake in a potential rake hike into their uh, analysis of what stocks are going to be worth. So a lot of times we will hear bad news on the economy and we'll notice that the stock market goes up, not down. And when you see that phenomenon, what you have to realize is that the people in the stock market already have baked in that bad news. And so they had already taken their hits and done what they they were going to do. In terms of the overall economy, we'll see interest rates go up. And frankly, they should. Uh, I think our interest rates are just a bit too low. Uh, Savings rates are abysmal. You know, they're just very, very low. But the one real downside of the Fed uh, raising interest rates is that the federal government will have to pay more in interest payments on the debt. And we're now at 19 point, last time I checked, was $5 trillion. And, you know, the interest rates for every 1% that goes up, it's something like three or four hundred billion. Oh, man. It's just it's an insane amount of money. It is unsustainable. And unfortunately, unfortunately, we do not look at the national debt as a leading economic indicator, which is really something. Mm. You know, if I were to tell you that you make 50,000 a year and you owe 70,000 a year, (laughs) you would certainly see that as a leading indicator of bad things to come. And you are committed to spend something like seven million in the future on this 50,000. Uh, that would be an indicator that maybe things aren't good. But that's exactly the shape our country is in. And we're passing on to people like Rebecca and and her children and her great-grandchildren just a truckload of debt that they will never be able to repay. They won't be able to grow their way out of it. And it's really quite selfish and immoral on our part, what well, we're doing. Uh, you're right, but the problem is it seems so esoteric, and I think people just don't don't really grasp it. Okay, Bill, in the yeah. two minutes we have left, um, for our listeners who own businesses, what's the best way for them to plan ahead, uh, given the current state of the economy, <clears throat> given the fact that rates are going to be going up? You know, look, get out of – this is the same, uh, same advice I keep giving all along the way. Uh, stay within your means – Live within your means, buy down as much of your debt or get to zero on debt as possible and then get as big a line of credit as you can uh, for the future and then hoard cash. And I, I don't mean hoard in the biblical sense. I mean just really conserve cash, get cash in the bank. Um, really, cash is your only defense in a business against an ever-encroaching uh, federal government and, frankly, against the uncertainty in the market. Cash is your friend. And so build cash. And for all you business owners that are doing lifestyle businesses that think that your businesses are going to uh, always be there, you better think again and you better start building cash and maybe taking less out of the business. Mm. Great advice from Bill English. You can find out more on Bill's uh, consultancy and his great articles for Christians in business at BibleAndBusiness.com. Thanks, Bill. You bet.